someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Hello and welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. This is Stephen Lyman doing something completely different. Today I am in Yamato Zakura Distillery. This is my annual sojourn to the distillery where I work. And this morning I'm actually bottling. And I've had some thoughts and things I want to talk about. And I'm just going to riff a little bit and share my thoughts about, in some ways, the state of the industry, in other ways, what it's like to run a small business like this in Japan. And hopefully you enjoy. Without、uh, further ado, here we go. This is now my 11th year working at Yamato Zakuda. And I have gotten to know this family. I've watched these children grow up.、Uh, the one who wasn't speaking and barely walking when I started working is now、uh, an elementary school student or middle school student, I guess.、Uh, and the distillery still feels very much the same 11 years on. As you would imagine, Yamato Zakura is, is an old family distillery. It was established right around、uh, the opening of Japan in the 1850s. And Tekon is the current generation Toji.、Uh, and now he's the, the president. I mean, it's hard to say president when it's a company of, of just the family and a few part time employees. But as the smallest distillery in Kagoshima Prefecture,、uh, he is now running it. He's taken over from his father. And his father had a very, very particular way of doing it, of, of making shochu and of running the, running the business. And his father's of a certain generation. His, his,、uh, he's in his late 70s now, and he's winding down. Fortunately, he has given Tekon、uh, complete autonomy over how to run the distillery, which can't always be said of other distillery owners who are transitioning out of full time work.、But Tekon is a pretty modern guy. He's very much got a, a global view. I mean, a common expression here in Japan, and I'm sure people use it in other parts of the world, is、uh, what is it? Think local, act global. Or think global, act local. I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> but Tekon was working as an ad man in Tokyo, and so he has this, this world view, a, a kind of a global view, where his father really. Spent his entire life in this small town in Kagoshima. And so they, 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 they do butt heads, they do disagree on how to do things. But as I said, Tekon's father has allowed Tekon to take over and run the, run the distillery in his own way. And, and Tekon's being very creative. If you look at what the branding was when I started working here 11 years ago and what it is today, those original brands still exist and those labels. Virtually stayed the same for, for sometimes decades now. But Tekon's bringing out all these new limited edition products、uh, where he's doing experimental batches using different kinds of sweet potatoes, different kinds of rice,、uh, still ma- maintaining the essence of Yamato Zakura, but very much doing it in, in his own way. And if you've seen pictures of Tekon, and certainly we'll put them in the show notes, he's very much a hipster. He's got the hipster glasses, he dresses like a hipster when he's not working. And he's a hipster in the best sense, t h a t he is definitely a, a rural craftsman of the best sort. 
here in, in Ichiki in this small town. Uh, but he's bringing that design sensibility to it, which I think is very much a Japanese aesthetic these days, a modern Japanese aesthetic, which is new, with his new branding. And he, he develops very close relationships with graphic designers and artists who help him with the labels. So it's a really, I think, modern craft distilling mindset, almost natural wine in a way, in, in, in how he brands and that sort of thing, which is so different from his father's traditional labels. Of course, his father hired a pretty amazing designer uh, to do the, the labels for their main brands, who actually also designed the Nika black labels. But Tekan's really brought his own sense to it. And during the transition from his father running the distillery to Tekan running the distillery, I definitely felt some tension at times. I would hear them bickering or arguing. Bickering's probably an unkind word, but they would have disagreements in it. I mean, I think Te Tekan was, was always respectful, but I think so frustrated that he couldn't just do things the way that he wanted all the time. And now that he has that freedom, I can, I can sense uh, a different kind of stress, I guess. He's, uh, he's now fully responsible. He can't rely on his dad for, you know, for, for things, and, and he's now running the business. But on, on the other hand, I, I feel these kinds of stress that he's dealing with are different. He's not as stressed about his relationship with his parents. And that's good to see. I think it's probably overall good for him. But the bigger picture of this kind of free-flowing free -flowing thought is that lots of distilleries in the shochu world, and probably, I think, also in the Awamori world, go through this. Because these distilleries aren't designed to scale or to grow. This isn't like multi-generational Jack Daniels or Wild Turkey, where they have massive production capabilities and they um, can always build another distillery and all that sort of thing. The shochu makers don't have that sort of capital or that sort of um, mindset. And so Yamato Zakura will probably always be this size and it will be, it will be big enough to support the family but it's not going to get bigger. And so I think what, what happens is as these businesses continue to be able to survive when the children buy into being willing to take over the family business and not go on and do other things and, and have a career outside. Tekon did go to Tokyo and he did work there for a number of years. He did train in advertising for marketing and he moved to Tokyo. But when his father called him, he came back and he gave up that life. I mean, he was a DJ. He was living the life in Tokyo. You can imagine a guy from small town Kagoshima moving to Tokyo and becoming an ad, an ad man during the day and a DJ at night. And he just must have been having a great time. But when duty called in the true, uh, true Japanese tradition, he did come home. And he gave all that up and he moved back here. And he made a lot of sacrifices. He didn't want to give up his city life. So he originally was living in Kagoshima City. And it was about a 45-minute drive to the distillery. And he would start work at 6 a.m. So he was leaving Kagoshima before the sun came up in order to maintain that lifestyle. 
after a few years, he realized it wasn't sustainable, and he moved to the distillery itself. He was actually living upstairs from the office with his family uh, when I first met him. And since then, uh, they've, they've bought a house nearby. So it's a little more comfortable, quite a bit bigger than where they were living when I first got to know them. But that was a big sacrifice for him to go from Tokyo, you know, one of the world capitals, to Kagoshima City, which is a provincial capital, to uh, to Ichiki, which is a town of 7,000 people. But that, again, was what he felt like was his responsibility, and I certainly admire that. When you think about the hundreds of distilleries that exist here in Kyushu, of course there are big companies like Sanwa Shurui, or Kirishima, or Takahashi Shuzo. These are all massive companies that had very high production volumes, and they make most of the shochu, those big distilleries. But as far as the industry at large, most of them are small. Most of them have very limited production capacity. They're, they're larger than Yamato Zakura, but they're not necessarily order of magnitudes larger than Yamato Zakura. And so I think what I've come to realize is time and time and time again, throughout the industry, these fam familial succession stories are happening, where you have the, the father, almost always the father, sometimes the mother, who is winding down and transitioning to the child to take over and run the business. Uh, if, if they don't have children, then sometimes it's a nephew or even a niece who takes over. But generally, they try to keep these businesses running within the family. And these generational conflicts, I think, they happen more often than, than we realize. There was recently an episode, which we'll probably talk about in more detail as more uh, information comes out, but a very well-respected distillery here in Kagoshima. The father was winding down and he appointed his son as president of the company and his son took over everything and his son went his own way and was growing the reputation of the distillery in tremendous ways within the shochu community. People love their products and what they were doing, really committing to 100% uh, estate-grown ingredients. They were growing all of their own sweet potatoes, most of their own rice, trying to get to the point where they are growing all of their own rice. And recently, the father, who was still the uh, chairman of the board of the distillery, he fired his son at the annual board meeting, and half, more than half the distillery staff quit in protest. And so they're having a really hard time maintaining production. His father is in his, he's in his 80s. How does he run a distillery when he's lost a bunch of staff in a rural distillery? It's, it's hard to recruit anyway, but when you just had that sort of upheaval, that sort of uncertainty, it's a, it was a shocking development in the industry. And obviously the son is devastated uh, to have his entire future ripped away from him, essentially. He's got a family, young children. How does he, and this is the only thing he's ever known, is, is working for his family's distillery. And we don't know the ins and outs of why or what happened or what led to the dismissal. But I thought about it, if Tekan's father was a man of different character, or God forbid, had some sort of mental problem or something like that, 
whether it's anxiety or depression or, or some other sort of stress, what could have happened to Tekkan during their transition, right? These transitions aren't always seamless. And I had never thought about this side of, of the business before, of, of these small, essentially craft distilleries. In, in the States, when we have craft distilleries, they're all new. You don't have multi-generational craft distilleries right now. And who, who knows what will happen in the future with those craft distilleries, if they will survive multiple generations, or will they be acquired and, and their brands carried on by larger interests, which is a common thing in the US, it doesn't really happen here. So here you've got these businesses that are being carried on by the children, and when the children and the parents don't get along, that becomes even more difficult than it already is. And the, the, the family dynamics are interesting. We all know how difficult family can be anyway, but you're talking about adding business to the family dynamic that invariably adds complexity. Obviously, many small family-run businesses like restaurants and things in the States have similar experiences. And this is no discredit at all to people who run restaurants. I absolutely have huge respect for people who, who work and run restaurants. But a restaurant is a much, much more straightforward operation than a distillery. The number and breadth of decisions and, and tasks that are required every day to manage production of a product like this is, is pretty mind-blowing. Watching how Tekon juggles and gets everything done yeah, is pretty remarkable. And I think the other thing is you're very much reliant when you're making you or any any sort of uh, product like this, your reliance on consumers to continue buying it, and it's, the sales of it is sometimes very much out of your control. If you're running a bar, you're running a restaurant, then you're very much in control of, of selling your product and convincing people uh, to buy it and continue coming to your to your location. But in in alcohol production like this, there's a lot of variables beyond your control, and I imagine that that adds stresses that some other small businesses wouldn't necessarily have. Another layer of complexity for this is when you're talking about a country like Japan, which is traditionally quite patriarchal, uh, and on the business side, very, very male-dominated. I'm sure if you pay attention to Japanese politics or business at all, there are constant reports about how few women uh, serve in the cabinet or uh, our board members uh, with Japanese companies. And let's face it, Kyushu is essentially the rural south of Japan, and people are very conservative down here, uh, especially once you get away from Fukuoka. Fukuoka. I guess you could think of Fukuoka as like Atlanta as far as its regional presence, if we're thinking about the, the southeastern United States. Or maybe Fukuoka is Houston. It's something like that. It's a big city. People are a little bit more uh, open-minded, a little bit more progressive uh, in their worldview and thinking beyond their own borders. But once you get into rural Kagoshima, like where I am now, things are, are hugely provincial. And an example was when I went to the SG release party, uh, Shingo Gokan's line of shochu, 
uh, I went to the release release party in Tokyo, and they were asking other each of the shochu makers, konnichiwa. They were asking each of the shochu makers who were involved in the product uh, what they thought of their shochu being used in cocktails, because obviously Shingo is a world famous bartender, and his products would be uh, primarily used in cocktails. And the president of Satsuma Distillery here in Kagoshima was basically like, why are you asking me? I'm just a, a guy from rural Kagoshima. I don't know anything about cocktails. Um, and that's just that's the mindset down here is, is there's very little thought put beyond their local community. And there's in some ways a beauty to that because there's the expression politics is local, right? But life is local for many people in these small communities in southern Japan. There's not a lot of thought given to what's happening in the outside world. But that's also probably why shochu hasn't grown beyond its borders because almost all of it's made down there. So there isn't really a global mindset. There's not the idea of, oh, let's look for export markets. Let's, let's grow this business and make it into a multinational or anything like that. It's simply for virtually all of its history, making drinks for the locals to enjoy. Because it wasn't until the 1970s that shochu really started to be consumed nationally in Japan to any great degree, and export started around the same time, maybe a little bit later, at least to the West, to the US. And so you're going from that generation, which wasn't that long ago, everything was consumed locally or at least domestically to now having to find export markets. And so it's really important for the distilleries as they try to survive in the future, going into the future, to identify young people who do have that global mindset, who think a lot like Techcon and can imagine selling their products all over the world. So it'd be very interesting to see over the next few decades how all of this plays out. Will the, will the industry impact and how much of it will impact? Of course, some, there will be survivors, but there will probably also be failures uh, for those that can't figure out how to open up export markets because Japanese domestic consumption just continues to decline and I don't really see with the population trends a way that that's going to change in the near future. But Japan surprised before, so who knows? Getting back to my thought about how this is a provincial and conservative uh, region of, of the country, my thought falls to female producers. When there is no son and the daughter is tasked with taking over the distillery, what's What's happening there? What is the response in the local community to a female producer? Is there pushback? Is there other negative thoughts about a woman making making the shochu or being responsible for sales or any of that sort of thing? And I don't know. It's it's not something people really talk about, but it's something that came to mind uh, with this succession crisis that recently happened at the distillery that. There, there were two sons, and now neither of the sons are working for the distillery. So who will pick up the mantle uh, and, and run that place if it's going to survive? 
but then in distilleries where the, the next generation, there is no male heir, then how do people respond to a female producer? I think it'd be interesting to get Maiko Chikuya uh, on, on the podcast at some point. She actually lived in New York for a long time before coming back to uh, take over her father's business, the Chikuya Distillery. And she's now been at it for, for well over a decade, and, and she seems to be doing pretty well. But I'm wondering, it'd be interesting to get her perspective on, on how, how that was for her, again, living in a small town, making shochu in a, since you're a rural village, and, and uh, what kind of, of response, or what kind of, maybe not criticism, but what, what kind of uh, pushback or what kind of resistance did she feel? Uh, as she was making that transition. I'm working with this very old makeshift bottle maker that's supposed to fill six bottles at a time, but is down to two working spouts. And both of these spouts are quite finicky, so sometimes I am overfilling the bottles and I need to dump some out and get the fill line right because Obviously, the distillery uh, wants to sell the correct amounts so that they don't get in trouble. Uh, they don't want to underfill to annoy consumers or overfill to, to lose potential revenue bottles that they don't get to produce. So it's it's a slow process. It's relatively nice work, which is nice, but uh, definitely takes patience. It's funny, it's only here at Yamato Zakura that I ever have bandwidth to think about things like this. It's really, for me, a contemplated experience. I know a lot of people go to yoga camps or spas or retreats or things like that. I come here and I do manual labor. It's largely, uh, <clears throat> it's not mindless work, but it doesn't require a lot of thought and it helps me clear my head and give me a lot of bandwidth to think about other things. So here I am reflecting on my now 11 seasons here and how Yamato Zakura has very much stayed the same and yet changed. And I never would have predicted when I started that I'd be back here every year for, for this amount of time. Um, and I don't think when I did decide that I was going to come back every year, I never really thought about how things might be in a decade. Obviously, I knew the kids would be getting older. I knew Tekon and I would be getting older. I hadn't really considered Tekon's transition to becoming the president because his father didn't seem that old at the time. But I guess he was probably in his late 60s, maybe even early 70s when I met him. So of course he was going to wind down. And I didn't really think about the succession and how that might change things, how Tekon might change being responsible for production and sales is much different than being responsible for the entire survival of the business. 
I've certainly seen a change in that time. No doubt more confidence, but also He's actually in better shape than he was when I met him. He realized that when they can, they showed you he needed to, to be in shape, and so he's dedicated to workout regimen. Uh, it's quite impressive, uh, mainly during the off-season. He doesn't have a lot of time during the season to do that, but he's, he's quite fit. Uh, I wish I had that motivation because I'd rather be more fit than I am. Yeah, the distillery where I see this transition happening, and for now it seems to be going well, is at the Manzen distillery. The, the son who's now taken over production still very much defers to his father on many of the business decisions, but his son is now, the Toji is now responsible for production, and they seem to get along really, really well, but that's just what they let people see. So I'm curious if there's similar tension simmering uh, beneath the surface that we're not aware of. Uh, because Mr. Manzen, the, the president, is an extremely um, powerful figure. He's, he's very, very strong-willed and opinionated, and that's how he's been so successful. And that's not unlike the president at Yachiyoden, which I hadn't mentioned the name of the distillery before, but that's the distillery that's now in crisis because of this uh, fallout between the father and the son. And the fathers at Monsen and at Yachiyoden remind me quite a bit of each other. Perhaps slightly different temperaments, but, but both strong-willed Kagoshima men. And their sons are around the same age, I guess. I think Kentaro Yagi might be a little bit older uh, than the Manzen sons who are running Manzen now. Manzen's also doing what Manzen's always done. They're, they haven't really shifted toward a estate-grown or a, a domain system where they're trying to grow all of their own ingredients. They're just continuing to make their main products the way they've always made them. So maybe there's less reason for uh, contention between the generations. I hadn't really thought much about that, but that's another distillery that I've seen the transition. The transition that seems to have gone really well is Nakamura, which is another small, these are all small handmade distilleries essentially. Yachiyodan's a little bit bigger, but Hanzen, Yamato Zakura, and Nakamura are all small handmade distilleries. But at Nakamura, the Toji who was responsible for production was actually not a member of the family. Uh, the father had stepped back even before his son took over, and then his son was trained under this uh, legendary Toji who worked with this for a long time. And now the son has taken over and, and seems to have pretty free reign, and I don't, I don't see any, any potential tension there. I think the father has been content to let his, his son uh, steer the ship. And uh, he's been doing a really nice job. His products are everywhere. Given the size of the distillery, it's amazing how many izakayas and bars you see knocking on the show chewing. So I guess there are ways that this happens seamlessly and that there are ways where, in which it does not. Um, 
just something I, I guess I now have the bandwidth to contemplate. Anyway, it's kind of probably running long for a solo podcast episode, which would be the first ever on Japan Distilled if this actually ever sees the light of day. But I wanted to record something and, and see, see how it went. So I hope you enjoyed. And to everybody out there, very hearty and helpful. Come by. <laughs>